go to the book of Colossians Children's Church. You can be dismissed at this time. Man, look at these fresh haircuts going out and hairstyles. I'm telling you what, y'all looking good this morning. Good looking young crew. As they are heading out, uh, again, we are in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And I know some of you are thinking, man, haven't we been in Colossians 3 since last year? <laughs> yeah, I think we have. Um, this is a really though, great section of Scripture that just, I mean, you want to camp out in it. Um, and, and so we have somewhat. Uh, but there's some, some good stuff here that, uh, that we want to continue this morning in our thoughts as we continue to look at part two of uh, putting on the new man. And this is what Paul has been hammering out, uh, the importance of now that you know who you are in Christ, how then shall you live? And the way we should be living as followers of Christ is we should be living as new people, not indulging uh, the, the sinful flesh, as we did when we walked in darkness. And so um, we should all be growing. We should all be transforming. And that should be showing through in our life and how we live. And so I want to continue looking at this. Uh, again, if you were taking notes last week, following along, uh, we've talked about this so far in this section of Scripture, this specific theme we're focusing on. Uh, we talked about the image of God uh, in, in verses 10 and 11. Uh, we've also talked about last week the elect of God. And there again, just that one word, we could camp out and have months of studies. Uh, but uh, as was mentioned there uh, last week in that section of Scripture, um, you look at the context in which that word is written, and it wasn't that we would go off on some rabbit trail. It's in the context of not only were you foreknown and predestined, uh, but you were foreknown and predestined unto to live a life such as a new man. Look at the context. Um, Paul's not wanting to have an in-depth theological. That's sort of a passing phrase that he throws in there. And he throws it in there contextually because who is in the midst of the Colossian church causing trouble? The Judaizers. They thought they were the chosen. Oh, we're the chosen. We're the elect. So therefore, you must get circumcised. You must keep these laws. And so Paul says, notice the phrase that he used last week when we were reading this, therefore, all these things I've just told you, therefore, because of those things, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Three terms he always used in the old, that was always used in the Old Testament to describe the, the Israelites. And so you see what Paul's intentionally doing there when he uses those three words. And then he goes into this putting on the new man. And so don't, again, sometimes we get bogged down. We can't see the, the forest because of the trees. And so in this context, he's talking about this is what you've been predestined to. Yes, you are the chosen. Yes, God foreknew you before the foundation of the world. But this is how, this is why you've been separated apart. That's just like in the Old Testament, the Israelites had special diet. They had special laws. They were under those laws. Why were they under those laws? To establish that they were the elect, the chosen of God, set apart from the rest of the world. And church, it's written here to us in the New Testament in similar manner. That we too would be separate from the world. That we too would be marked as those who are God's children. And so, 
Uh, again, that now today we're going to pick up from this and we're going to go into the example of God. We'll see this in verse 13. Uh, and then we'll hopefully get to the love of God, uh, which is verse 14. And then uh, the peace of God, as we'll see in verse 15. And then last, the word of God in verses 16 and 17. So that's sort of the thought. That's sort of where we're going uh, in today's passage. Uh, but let's go ahead and read this so that we can understand these ideas as we seek this morning to unpack them. Let's begin our reading in verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, I pray this morning you would be with me as... I seek to share your word. May I do so in your power. Uh, may I do so with clarity. Uh, Lord, may you give me the words to speak and guide my thoughts. Lord, I pray for the listener this morning that their um, hearts would be open to receive the, the word, that you would remove any and all distractions from their thoughts, that we would focus on you and draw near to you. Uh, Lord, that you would move uh, in our lives to change us from the inside out, renew the inner man, strengthen us, let us lay aside the old man and his ways and the old garments. May we cast them off. And Lord, by your grace and strength, may we put on the new man. May we work out that which you've worked in for your glory, for your namesake, and for our good. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, again in this section, he, he says, therefore is the elect of God, and, and, and many of you uh, love the moody comment from last week, and I have to agree, it, it summed it up. The, the elect are the whosoever wills. The non-elect are the whosoever wants. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty simplistic way, but it says a lot. Um, and so again, he says, he uses these three words, elect, holy, beloved, and again, what's Paul's instruction to the church? What's going on here in the context of Colossae? Well, again, these many people have been trying to say that, oh, it's Jesus plus, and, and, and that Christ's teaching doesn't have preeminence. Everything else is jockeying for position. Whether it's philosophy, whether it's the Judaizers, whether it's angelology, whether it's uh, the differing teachings and, and mysticism and all the other 
teachings, trying to jockey for position to have preeminence in this local area, Paul's reminded them, no, Christ is to have preeminence. Christ alone. And so, with that knowledge, understanding that Christ is sufficient, understanding that grace is provided through Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf as new creations in Christ, then you need to lay aside those old things, man. Get rid of that anger. Get rid of that frustration. Get rid of those sins that are sexual in nature. Whatever those sins that easily trip you, you need to lay them down. You need to cast them off. Get rid of them. Kill it, was what we talked about in the beginning of this section. And you say, well, it's not that easy, Pastor. It's not that easy because of unbelief. Was it easy to cross the Red Sea? Was it easy to wander the desert and not wonder where your food or your water was going to come from? Since when was living by faith easy? But what's always prevented faith is unbelief. And so what makes the struggle and the journey even harder is unbelief. And so when God says, my grace is sufficient, in your weakness I'm made strong, either that's a true statement or that's a lie. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. The same attack that happened in the garden is the same attack that takes place in your life every single day. Why would we expect it to be any different? So the question is, who are you going to believe? Who are you listening to? And too often times we hear the whisper of the enemy. Sometimes we hear the whisper of self and self-doubt. Too often times we get it in our mind and we feed that. And that's not in line with what God has whispered, what God has boldly said. And so we find ourselves in the same place Adam and Eve found themselves. Who am I going to believe? Who am I going to listen to? And too often times within churches, and it's no different in, in, the, in, in, in Colossians, and, and Paul's trying to address these things, there was no doubt that there was doubt and confusion. And so Paul's writing to try and clarify, to try and give them some living hope, to try to give them some instruction. And guys, that instruction is still applicable for us today. Who are you going to believe? And so Paul is saying, hey, look, if you've been transformed, you've been bought by the blood of Christ, then you should live in a different way. You should live in a different light. You should be practicing certain things. These should be marking of you. We talked about the jersey. Whose jersey are you wearing? You know, when you sport that team jersey, everybody knows whose team you're on. And so the things that should be a part of our life are tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. And we talked about those things last time. Are those things that mark our life, community? Are those the trademarks that, that fill our life? Or, or are we maybe more of the anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language? Do you lie to one another? Or have you put off those 
old deeds. And that's what Paul is instructing us to do, that we need to put off those and, and to put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so, today as we look at this verse 13, I want us to focus on the example of God. Notice what the passage of Scripture says. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Usually to this we'll get that, but you just don't know, preacher. You don't know what they did to me. It amazes me, and it shouldn't. I've been in ministry 20 plus years. The little things that'll cause people to pack their bags and leave. I mean, you can have some mature Christians, strong in their walk. Oh, but you let that one thing, whatever that one thing is. And what I find often happens is, there's an offending party, right? There's a party that's offended. But the party that's offended, oftentimes, too oftentimes, never takes the time to try and hear the other side, to try and actually reason, to try and actually sit down and talk through the problem or the presenting problem. In counseling, we know what often brings somebody through the door is the presenting problem. That's not the real problem. No. Oh, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. But guys, here's what happens. When you store stuff up and you store stuff up and you never talk about it and you store stuff up and you never talk about it and it bottles up, it bottles up, what is eventually going to happen? It's going to blow up. And this is why Hebrews warns us that you need to be careful. Guard your heart because what will happen if you're not careful is a little seed of bitterness will get in the heart and it will begin to grow. And if you don't deal with it biblically, It'll begin to grow and fester, and then all of a sudden it begins to bring forth fruit, and that fruit is not good fruit. And it'll begin to choke out not only your joy, but it'll begin to defile many, is what the Scripture says. And too often times, that's exactly what happens amongst believers. And that's why the new man can't walk in the ways of the old man. You see, the old man lives in a place of paranoia. The old man lives in a place of accusation. The old man lives in a place of slander and malice and bitterness and those type things. And that's a real easy place to go. And look, lest we all seem self-righteous, we all go there from time to time, don't we? We all do. You guys know my story. I tell it oftentimes. Man, I was convinced 100%. I knew I was right. No doubt in my mind, this was the truth. I was a youth pastor. And I was visiting, you remember our former youth pastor, Dustin Dupree? I was visiting his mom, uh, Cindy. Me and Allison were there with, with Cindy and their little daughter, Lexi, at the time. She was a little bitty girl, probably, I don't know, five or six. And we're over there having a good visit one day during the school day, in the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, it's about mid-morning, and the phone rings, and Lexi gets the phone, and 
he's not here. Uh, yeah, okay, all right, bye-bye. Hangs up the phone and comes in the room, and the mom says, Lexi, who was that? She said, uh, that was Crystal. Well, Crystal was Little Lee's girlfriend. Little Lee and Crystal were in our youth group. Well, what was Crystal doing calling in the middle of the school day? Wasn't a few minutes later, the phone rings again. This time, Miss Cindy answers it, and she says, no, he's there. I dropped him off. She hangs up the phone. She says, oh, we've got a problem. That was the school. Lee didn't go to home. He's not in homeroom. He didn't go to school today. <gasps> They're meeting. We were all convinced. Lee didn't go into class. Instead, he went down to the library at the corner. Crystal was calling because he wasn't at the library. Where was it? They were meeting up. Oh, my goodness, we've got a scandal. Young love. <laughs> you know? I know none of y'all never snuck out and met you. We won't talk about it, you know. But mama... Allison, youth pastor, man, we all were putting this puzzle together. We done figured this one out. There was some potential problems going on in this, this little love triangle. Problem is, that wasn't the case. Phone rings again and, oh, we're sorry, he is here. He just was, he was, I guess, late in his home school and they'd already, in his homeroom class and they had missed him in the uh, taking of the roster. But he was there. The other call was a telemarketer and the lady's name happened to be Crystal and she was actually looking for Daddy Lee. <laughs> right? But hey, this is like the sitcoms, right? This is what happens on television. I wonder where we get these ideas from when this, we go down these CSI rabbit holes, right? we got to figure it out. Oh, but only pastors are the only one guilty of that. Y'all are not guilty of that. Y'all never do those kind of speculation, connect the dots. Guys, this is what happens. And this is what happens oftentimes in the body of Christ. Somebody says something. Somebody perceives what they think to be true. But instead of actually taking the time to get together and figure it out, we go off on our own hunt, don't we? And we're not satisfied to solve the mystery alone. We've got to include some other people. Right? And if we're not careful, this is the area in which the enemy thrives in. And that little bitterness begins to grow. You want to check your heart to see if there's some bitterness? Let's do a little self-examination. Is there anybody currently in your life that you're aware of, know of, that you have a hard time talking to? You try to avoid them. Is there somebody that if something good happened to them, you would have a hard time rejoicing? Rejoicing for them and with them. I mean, these are just a few simple things for us to ask ourselves because I'm afraid too often times, guys, what happens with bitterness is it's usually... It starts real subtle and we don't recognize it. 
and we don't deal with it properly, and it's like dirt going under the rug, at first you don't notice. But every time we bury it, every time we don't deal with it as we should, it just piles up. And it's not too long before it becomes noticeable. So Paul is aware of these things and aware of our nature and aware of these potential problems that can affect the local church. And in dealing with some of these false teachings and some of these problematic things that are trying to make their way into the church, he recognizes what that could lead to. And so he wants to counter that. And so again, he reminds us of who we are, reminds us that we're not to do as we used to do and think in the way that we used to think, We need to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because there is a proper way to deal with conflict. It's not that you're going to live conflict-free. In fact, if you are a true follower of Christ, you better bank on it. You will have conflict. By the way, if you have a healthy marriage, you will have conflict. Some of you are saying, man, we got a real healthy marriage. (laughs) But... That's part of relationship, isn't it? In a fallen world, fallen natures, renewed in Christ, even still, we're individuals. Though we're many members, there's diverse gifts. And yet, our common bond is Christ. And so there's a better way. And I'm not going to exhaust the sermon on how we're supposed to do this, but you guys know the scripture in Matthew. If your brother offends you, you go to him. And you go to him alone. You don't go to your sisters and get a little prayer group circle going. Gentlemen, we don't, we don't go down the road here and, 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 and you know, have a little coffee shop break with the, with the guys and pull them around and, and tear down others. You go to the person who's offended you. And them alone. And we talk, and we listen, and we reason. And hopefully we come to a restoration. Because that's always the goal in any conflict is restoration. And if you don't find the satisfaction in the restoration, if it's not there for whatever reason, there's still conflict, and it's unresolved, and there's unrepentance, and there doesn't seem to be any ownership in it, well, now we need to bring in a couple of witnesses to establish everything that's laid out here. Because let's be honest, every man in this room, every woman in this room, we all have blind spots. None of us have arrived. And we all have blind spots. And so sometimes, even though the perspective may be true to us, we may think this is right. We may say, hey, this is is reality. Is it possible they're not at the library? We could be missing it. And that's why to have outside, unbiased, biblical counselors, people who are mature in the faith, to weigh in on the conflict. All right? That's vital to establish. Because oftentimes in those cases, what happens is you have the two parties that are having the conflict, and the two witnesses can say, well, you know what? Now, hold on a second, Pastor. I kind of understand what they're saying here. I, I see this. I see the point. Blah, 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 blah. The other witness. Yes, I 
I, I, I agree. Well, now there's either going to be stiff-necked, hard-hearted attitude in response to that, or there's going to be humility. And hopefully it's met with humility. You know what? I appreciate that counsel. I'm sorry. There's restoration. There should be, right? And of course we know if it's still not established and there's still this conflict that goes on, then, then it's eventually after a certain amount of time of trying to work through the conflict, if it's still not being resolved, then eventually it comes to the church. And the church hears it. And we weigh it. And then we chime in on what the authoritative Scripture has to say. As we even read in our quiet time uh, this morning, you know, when, when uh, Christ said to, to Peter, Christ says to, about Himself, upon this rock I will build my church. And He talks about the keys being given to the church. Whatever is bound on earth is bound on earth and bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is, is, is loosed in heaven. And again, in the context, guys, and too often times we misquote this scripture. How many times have we said, hey, we're two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst. And we call that church. Like if you've got two or three people together, you're having church. Guys, please, I understand we say that a lot. The context is in church discipline. Don't take my word for it. Go back and read it. When two or three agree that this is sin and this person's in the wrong, or this person's in error, and they're not repenting, when two or three in the church agree to that, what is bound on earth is bound in heaven. God says, I've given you the authority to make this decision, church. And the church has the authority to loose them. And that's why we never like getting to a step four in church discipline, but step four is when the person's unrepentant and they refuse to repent and they refuse to get right and they just will not hear what the church is trying to lovingly tell them, then the church puts them out. And that's biblical. That may not seem like to a world, and, and here's the sad thing, to most Christians it doesn't seem loving. Your problem's not with that church, your problem's with the Word of God. Because this is what the Word of God says. And, and, and when we have to come to that, and, 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 and it's sad that sometimes we have to come to that. But the reason we come to that is for the sake of the soul of the individual. That hopefully, one day, they come to understand, man, you know what? That church was right. I was wrong. And they were just trying to lovingly correct me. They were trying to lovingly steer me to a place where I would receive the truth and be responsive. And I didn't. But now I do. And in every one of those cases, these doors are wide open for that person to return. Amen? Because the point of the conflict is to bring resolution that we might find resolve, that we might find healing, hope. You who are spiritual, when a brother's overtaken in a fault, help restore him. But there's only one way to restore him, guys, and that's biblically. Everything else is just sugary sweet it doesn't matter how much sugar you i was going to say something i won't say that but no matter how much sugar you put on a rotten egg <laughs> it's still a rotten egg right faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful 
The only way we're going to love someone to restoration is in truth. And so Paul says, look, you're going to have to bear with one another. Now, interesting, this word, bearing with one another, it's translated endure. Put up with. Paul says, guess what, church? You got to put up with one another. Pastor Nate endures me every day. Amen. Right? You guys put up with Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, you put up with Pastor Jim, you endure us. You put up with us. Sometimes the feeling's mutual. Guys, isn't that what you do in your family sometimes? I mean, sometimes I know you're always right in your home. Everybody else is wrong. They put up with you. You put up with them sometimes, right? Sometimes, oh, it's just, especially young marriage. When you first get married, you're trying to work through some of the things you don't know about each other yet. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I didn't realize they did that. That's really annoying. That really bothers me. You endure, right? You, you put up with one another. That's what love does sometimes, right? Now, again, we seek to have consultations to work through these, right? That's important, right? You don't just put up with it in the sense of, I'm going to be a doormat. That's not ever what a Christian is to be. But we should be bearing with one another because it's a two-way street, baby. You want to know what your problems are in your life? Let me help us all with this. You want to know what God's working on in your life? Where are your conflicts at? You know, God gives you, for all my married couples in the room, since we just finished Valentine's Day and y'all are coming off a big mountain of love, let me just crash your plane for a second, all right? Your spouse is given to you to help you work on your rough spots. They're there for your sanctification. Now think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Your spouse helps you in areas of sanctification that you need help in. <laughs> now if you'll think on that on the way home and really think about it throughout this week, what are the things, again, and you'll find where the rubs are is oftentimes the areas that I myself need some practice. And that's why testings come, guys. Testings happen so that we can pass the test, right? So I keep having the same test pop up from time to time. Maybe it's not there. Maybe it's here. And we all have these areas, right? And so maybe we need to look at this with fresh eyes. Maybe we need to look at this in, in, in the light of this is God's loving way of growing me. And your spouse is a gift to you. Your spouse is there to help grow you. And guys, I'm telling you, if it's agape love that's brought you together, not eros, phileo, astorge, right? It's agape. Then these are areas that God has invested into your life to help you grow more and more into the image of Christ. So, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Help me yield to what the Spirit of God desires to do. And so we forbear with one another. We forgive one another. 
We're told to forgive one another. Especially when you look at this passage, it says that, be, that bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, you got a complaint against somebody? Somebody got a complaint against you? What's the answer? Pack your bags and leave the church? Is that the answer? I'm not coming back to that place. Is that the attitude? Nothing screams Christ like that. That's not the answer, guys. Do you do that in your home? Do you do that with your family? You abandon your family every time things don't go how you think they should go because you perceive something different? Because, I mean, regardless of the level of conflict, let me ask you this question. How much sin did Christ forgive of yours? I know how many sins Christ has forgiven of, of mine. Let me help us out, guys. It's all of them. Every sin I've ever committed. Every sin I will commit. Because this was justified 2,000 plus years ago. I wasn't here 2,000 years ago. None of you were here 2,000 years right, The best in the room were probably shooting close to 90. Amen? Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ nailed it to the cross and He said, it is finished, it is paid in full, it is done. And through His death, burial, and resurrection, all of your sins are forgiven. And if a holy God can empty Himself and come and take on the form of a man and lower Himself to the point of humanity to take on my punishment and your punishment, to take the depths of the wicked thoughts and sins that you and I have committed. Can everybody in this room say since the moment you came through this church you've all had pure thoughts? Every thought that's ran through your head today since you've been in these doors has been pure thoughts? Absolutely not. Yet they're forgiven. Because Christ endures. He bears with you. He forbeareth the cross of Calvary. He took it all upon Himself. And He offers grace in place of judgment and punishment. And yet a holy God can do that for you and me. A holy God, pure in every way, shape, or form, can forgive the wicked, sinful heart of man. The, 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 even the righteous deeds are, are nothing but filthy rags in comparison. And that He offers forgiveness to you, and you're all happy. I'm all happy to receive that forgiveness, but I can't forgive my brother, my sister. Oh, because they said this. You just don't know how they treated me. Oh, you don't know what they did to me, preacher. And look, I don't want to minimize. Some of you have been through some garbage. Some of you have been through some hurt. Some of you have been through some evil. I'm not trying to negate that. But when we compare to the righteousness of Christ, you're right, there is no comparison. Who am I, a sinful man, not to forgive another sinful human being? And so guys, when we get eternal lives, when we get the understanding of how much God has forgiven us, I don't think we really stop and ponder the depths of our own wickedness. I don't think we stop and, and ponder our own depravity when we compare to a holy, righteous, omnipotent, um, not present, um, uh, omnipotent God. We don't, we don't stop and think about 
how much we have been forgiven, how much grace has been bestowed upon us, how much love you and I have been recipients of. And to not be able to offer that to someone because they said something, they did something. God says, if you will not forgive your fellow man, I will not forgive you before my Father. We can't carry the name of Christ if we carry bitterness. We can't carry the name of Christ if we carry unforgiveness. Now, again, this does not mean we're to be a walking man. This does not mean that at times there's not to be justice carried out. But again, there are proper channels in which that's to be done. So Paul says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? How's that? Completely. Unconditionally. Even while I was still a sinner, Christ forgave me. That offer was extended. Now, I can stay in a prison of sin and I can die in my sin if I never repent and receive Christ. And there are many people in this world that will, no matter how much you offer them grace and forgiveness, they're going to stay in their own prison. They're going to lock themselves in because they've got, they're on the bitter bus and they ain't getting off. That's not on you. That's not on you. But we are to forgive even as Christ forgave us. So also we must do. We must do this, guys or you will continue to never grow. You'll be stunted in your growth spiritually. And I understand for some of you, there's some really deep, dark hurts that are at the depth of your being, and you have got to bring that to the cross of Calvary and let it go. Christ has a new way. And we can't continue in the old way. That's what the natural man does. And, and so we don't want to, to, to go in the way of the natural man. God holds back His anger a very long time when we sin against Him. He bears with us a long time even when we sorely provoke Him. God reaches out to bad people to bring forgiveness to them. The habit of man is to not reconcile if the offending person is a person of bad character. God makes the first move towards us in forgiveness. The habit of man is to only be reconciled if the offending party craves forgiveness and makes the first move. God forgives often knowing that we will sin again, sometimes in the exact same way. It is the habit of man to forgive only if the offending party solemnly promises to never do the wrong again. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that He grants adoption to those former offenders in the habit of man, even when forgiveness is offered, he will not lift again the former offender to a place of high status and partnership. God bore all the penalty for the wrong we did against him in the habit of man. When he is wronged, he will not forgive unless the offender agrees to bear all the penalty for the wrong done. God keeps 
reaching out to man for reconciliation, even when man refuses him again and again. In the habit of man, one will not continue to offer reconciliation if it's rejected once. God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. In the habit of man, one will not restore an offender without a period of probation. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor. In the habit of man, we feel we should be complimented when we merely tolerate those who sin against us. Once having forgiven, God puts His trust in us and invites us back to work with Him as co-laborers. In the habit of man, one will not trust someone who has formerly wronged him. Isn't that the nature of man? And yet when we look at the very nature of God, and it's to be Christ within us, He's, he's still working on me. Church, if this is to be who we are as examples of Christ, we've got a lot of growing to do, don't we? Suppose that someone had grievously offended any one of you and that he asked your forgiveness. Do you not think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but I, I, I cannot forget it. Ah, dear friends, that is the sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It's a lame forgiveness, and it's not worth much. Spurgeon. Hmm. The example of God. We put on the new man. And that's renewed in Christ. And that's renewed in His knowledge. And so that's why, guys, this walking out our faith is hard. But it's right. And as we feed the new man, he grows. And as we let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, it begins to permeate who we are and how we live. And so we're able to, not in my own strength, I've had a lot of hurt and a lot of wrong in my life too. I've suffered a lot in my life. But I know the grace that I've received at the cross of Calvary. I know the, the terrible things that God has forgiven me for. How dare I not be ready to extend and offer grace to those around me. When I first got saved, one of the first things I did was I sat down and I wrote a letter of my testimony. And in that letter of testimony, I asked for many of people that I had offended and that I had done, quite honestly, some bad things to. Whether it was from my childhood, whether it was growing up, just people I had wronged. And I sent it to everyone that I had a mailing address. This is back in the day when you had to actually Put a stamp on it and mail it, guys, okay? And I sent it to all the people that I knew. Because I wanted them to know that 
Yes, I recognize I was a sinner. Yes, I recognize I'd done a lot of things. And, and the people that were receiving that letter, I very well may have done some harm to you. And I want you to know that I am sorry for that. And I ask that you forgive me. But whether you choose to forgive me or not, it's okay because a holy God has forgiven me. And I want to introduce you to Him. we got to put on the new man and his garments. That's the way we must live. And we must choose to live that way. Let's all go to Galatians real quick. Galatians 5. And it's been kind of cool how, again, our quiet times, if you're not doing the World of Life quiet time, you need to see Nate get one for next year, get on the list, because it's really cool how oftentimes what we're doing uh, in our world of life is exactly where we're at in the pulpit on Sunday. It's exactly where we are in our Sunday school classes. And so the Spirit of God has a way of knitting these thoughts and things together. And so uh, we've been in Galatians. But if you would go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And let's look in verse 16 and following. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, for the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Too often times we manifest the fruits of the flesh, don't we? Instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Which is why we must put on the new man. We must renew the new man, the inner man. This is why we must meditate day and night on the Word of God. Because that's going to produce the love of God. And it's the love of God that the world desperately needs. 
but let's define the love of God. Too often times we live in a world today where our terms are being hijacked by liberal theologians, by an unbelieving world. They take our symbols and our truths and they pervert them to mean something they don't mean. Guys, if you'll recall earlier in this passage of Scripture, Paul told them that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And he says, you once were one of those sons of disobedience, right? So let's get a full picture of God. Because the world wants to just focus on God as love. But let's get the context. God's also a God of wrath. And if we want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and its purity, we need to understand that we deserve wrath. God is a God of wrath. And He will judge the wickedness of this world. And He will pour out His wrath upon an unbelieving world. And so you can't just highlight one attribute of God because that suits you because you like that part. That's idolatry. You're creating a God that suits you. Oh, I want to talk about the God of love. I want to be all about the loving God. But no, let's not talk about the God of wrath. And we do this even in good Bible-believing churches. To, oh, oh, we want the, the pastor who, who's going to come alongside us and bring words of encouragement and, 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 and sit and have sweet tea with us and, and, and read from the Psalms. But I don't want the pastor who's going to confront me when my life is going in a direction that's not becoming of a follower of Christ. Oh, I don't want a pastor who loves me enough to say, don't play in the street, there's traffic out there, you're going to get hit. Translation. Guys, you're safe. In the gathering of the saints where the Word of God is being poured out and invested in you and your families. Because you know the one place you ought to be is in the safety of the gathering of the saints being fed and edified and built up for the sake of evangelism, for the sake of encouragement, to grow you in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because that's going to help you become a stronger Christian. And that's where your children need to be when the children are gathering together because that's where they're going to hear the Word of God and that's where they're going to be shaped and molded. Not at home watching the mass Singer. DVR for crying out loud. We do. I like the mass Singer. But I love you. This isn't for my health. I'm going to go soapbox. I've already gone there, so I'm going to stay full on the soapbox. All right? But it's because I love you. Guys, there's a lot of things in this world that are tugging at you, and they're pulling you away from the thing that's best. I don't understand this. I didn't grow up in the church. All I know that was when God converted my heart and transformed my life, I could not get enough of Jesus and Jesus' people. I couldn't get enough of God's Word. Man, open that book up and pour it into me. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I want it, I want it. Anyway, sorry. Like a newborn babe desires milk. Right? They let you know. They scream. It's not for Pastor Nate's sake, Pastor Dean's sake, Pastor Jeremy's sake. This is for our sake. We love you. And we want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Well, I can get it on the internet. I can watch it at home. No, you can't. 
You can't get the fellowship of the saints at home on a screen. I know we got people homesick today. All right, that's different. But guys, God's been really talking to me lately about this subject. And what I mean by that, let me translate, because oh, he's hearing voices. That's scary. That's not what I'm saying. In my time in the Word of God and the things that I'm reading, as I'm interacting with other pastors, there's a collective church. Hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. All right, This is biblical, what I'm talking about. And there's a trend happening all across the globe, and it don't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. All you got to do is read the book. This is how we hear from God. Read the book. The love of many is waxing cold. And the forsaking of the assembling of the saints together is waxing cold. And everybody's continuing on just as it was in the day of Noah. Eating, drinking, marrying, enjoying their folly. And meanwhile, nothing's changed since the concept of the church. Except for we meet less. Because in the day in which Hebrews 10, 25 was written, they gathered every single day to break bread, to do life together, to grow together, to study the scriptures together, to walk together. And yet we provide spiritual food often that no one ever eats. It's never received. And it's for your growth. It's for your benefit. It very well may be the thing that keeps your child from going to hell. Please. It's the love of God why I share this. Because as a shepherd who will one day give an account for the sheep that's been entrusted to my watch care. I want to know that I stood before a holy God in that moment and said, God, I tried to tell him. I pleaded with him. Let Christ have preeminence in your individual life, in your marriage, in your relationships, and within Community Baptist Church. But above all these, everything Paul said, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know a better way to translate that? The bond of unity. And that's one of the things, again, that's really been impressed on my heart is the emphasis of unity within community. Satan will seek to destroy and divide the relationships. And so the common bond is Christ and the love that bonds us together. That word, again, uh, bond, is like our ligaments. You know, you, it helps hold the body together, right? Guys, our love for God and our love for one another is what's going to keep us together. And I'm not talking about a song from the 70s. Who was that? Captain and Tennille? Anyway. In respect of agape, as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant love. 
and interest of a perfect being towards entirely unworthy objects, producing and fostering a reverential love in them towards the giver and a practical love towards those who are partakers of the same and a desire to help others seek the giver. Hog and Vine, page 105. What's he saying? He says, when it comes to this love that God gives, it, it's, a, it's a constant, it's, it's a love that, that shows interest in God. It, it produces and fosters within us a reverential love towards God. It causes us to want to be with Him, to want to know Him more, to want to be in His Word and let His Word be in us. But it doesn't stop there. It also extends to each other so that when you offend me, and you do, and when I offend you, and I will, that there's love that says, you know what? I'm going to cover that multitude of sin because love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, I know he said that. I know he did that. But I also know he means well. I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to offer him grace. But he don't deserve it. It doesn't matter. I didn't deserve it. And God gave it to me. So I'm just going to keep loving you. I'm going to love you so much you're going to be sick of my love. How about that? We'll give a little... We're going, to, we're going to love so much, you're going to get sick of loving. Anyway, sorry, that's my campaign speech. Um, <laughs> towards those who are partakers of the same, right? And, it's a, and there should be a desire to seek others, to help others seek the giver. That's what love does. I'm going to wrap it up. I've gone over time. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And if you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? It's hard to dislike somebody when you're trying hard to love them. Amen? Like grandma used to tell you, you know, kill them with kindness. Right? Still good counsel. Still good counsel. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Wow. That's a powerful quote. Guys, we're called to love because we've been loved. And we must love biblically, understanding God's whole nature, not just in what suits us, but what defines Him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Lord, I, I recognize that uh, 
oftentimes um, explanations, trying to um, share what's, what's heavy on the heart is not always communicated properly or effectively, but uh, Lord, I, I pray that you will deliver in the power of the Holy Spirit what you've pinned down in your word that you'll give us that understanding that we'll die to self. Self's what keeps us away from the gathering. Self's is, is what keeps us from following faithfully and steadfastly. Self is what prevents us from being in the word daily or meditating on your truths or allowing that truth to penetrate every aspect of our being. Self on the throne of life is what keeps us from offering um, forgiveness to those who've offended us. Self is what gets in the way when we don't want to hear what the Spirit has to say. Lord, may we crucify the flesh. May we die to self daily. Take up our cross. Follow you because you are our example. It's because of you we're able to love. Because it's only in you that we can understand true love. And sometimes love cares enough to confront. Love cares enough to correct, to rebuke. Love is reproof, correction. Yet love is also meek, gentle, and kind, and compassionate. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Lord, we confess to you today we don't love like you love. And so, Lord, wipe our hearts clean. Forgive us. Teach us to love like you love. Lord, I know the idiosyncrasies and the personalities and the conflicts of those around us sometimes just irk us. They rub us wrong. But, Lord, as long as it's not sin, let us love one. And if it is sin, let us love in truth. Let us love as you would tell us to love that that brother who is overtaken in a fault. And so, Lord, teach us to love as Christ loved. Father, I thank you for this church family. And I just pray that you will strengthen our bond in unity. That we'll be of one mind. And that we'll love the local church because you love the local church. You love the church so much you gave your life for her. Lord, may that be our attitude. That we'll recognize that the church is not a building, but it is a gathering of believers. And those believers meet right here. May we love each other in such a way as Christ loved us. Father, we'll thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do give you the praise. We ask it all in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. For his sake we pray. Amen. Invite you back tonight uh, for our Sunday school class. Don't forget also next week, please, 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 special start time. All right, we have, um, refresh my memory, 930. 930 next Sunday morning. 
going to be a great session on finances. Guys, finances affect all of us. Even if you've got the best portfolio or you have no portfolio, you, this is going to be helpful for all of us. It'll help you in your own personal finances. It'll also help the church as a whole. Then we'll have our main session, and then we invite you back Sunday night. It's going to be a really excellent uh, study and uh, opportunity for questions and things of that nature, workshop on Sunday evening. So plan on being with us next weekend. If you don't like driving at night, catch a ride with somebody. Ask somebody if they might pick you up because we, we want to have everybody represented here. And also invite someone. Again, this is an opportunity to, to that co-worker. People, those of you who have employees. I mean, this is an opportunity for, for really to, to hear some biblical teaching on the subject and, and be a help for, for those around us in our community. So that's next Sunday, so please don't forget that. But tonight, we invite you back. Business meeting following uh, afterwards this evening. And uh, also on your way out today, tell Jessica and Nate congratulations on a job well done yesterday. They ran 13-plus miles. Woo! I don't know about y'all. Some of y'all have a hard time driving to Goldsboro. They ran that far. All right? So that's excellent. Thank you, guys. You are free to go. God bless.